0: This is episode 49 of the Prepper Website Podcast. Today's articles are Fire, Survival, and Preparedness Essentials, Adding a Powerful Ham Radio to Your Bug-Out Bag, and How to Pack a Bleeding Wound. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily aggregator of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the Prepper website, Hey, I want to just give a quick shout out to John Rourke of 1776patriotusa.com. Uh, John did, or asked me to do a, a written interview. So, uh, those written interviews that I do on Wednesdays, I got a little taste of doing that uh, myself for John. And uh, he posted it over on his uh, website 1776patriotusa.com. Asked me some specific questions, and so I was able to answer them. And so I will link to that article on um, episode 49 or on the episode 49 show notes. So uh, you know, go check that out. And thanks to John over there, and he's linking to the podcast and and linking to Prepper website and linking to the Facebook group. So really do appreciate all that. And uh, you can do that as well. I, mean, I know a lot of you are already doing it. Y'all are sharing out. Uh, you know, I have a little social media share when you go to the website, the, the main page, and you can see how many people have shared it out. And so, you know, we haven't been going for very long. Um, so I appreciate all those shares. And then you can also go to the individual episodes and share those out, and you'd get the number there of how many times that was shared out. And so it's a lot less on the individual episodes, of course, than on the main page. But you can tell people are sharing it out there, and I really do greatly appreciate that. Uh, people are hitting the Facebook page, and there's more people. There's uh, maybe getting a little bit more momentum there, uh, joining the Facebook page. Uh, still not a lot of interaction. I think part of it is because the notifications, um, as you start you know, on Facebook, as you start liking and sharing and commenting on posts, then Facebook thinks that you're interested in that and you start seeing that more often. So if you are already on the Facebook uh, page or the group, the Facebook group, and uh, you see a post, man, if you can like it or comment on it, that will make sure that you see it because it does tell you like, you you, you post something and like only nine people saw it and that's because notifications aren't set up correctly and all those kinds of things. But that's happening. People are joining the email list and I'm very, very grateful for that. Hopefully they are enjoying the... The, uh, the e-course, uh, Living a More Self-Reliant Life, uh, there's five uh, lessons in that e-course and you get it uh, sent out to you. You know, th- there's e-courses out there, uh, at least when you sign up for email groups, and I remember the last time I signed it, signed up for one. I actually saved it in my email folder, and uh, I went back to go take a look at it. It was only two two paragraphs long. Uh, the little, you know, it's like a, a short, like mini course type thing. And so they would send you something once a week. And uh, like I said, it was only two paragraphs long. I try to put a lot more effort and a lot more information into my uh, to my e course. Of course, it is an email. Uh, you know, an email, email e-course So uh, hopefully it's not too, too much To where you know, like you get bored of it But uh, I, I think it was some good information So uh, it's, it's there for you You're welcome to come check it out And then there's also other benefits To being on the email list uh, there So hey, thanks so much for being a part of this podcast We're going to go ahead and get started on this one Our first, um, our first article comes to us From sheepdogman.com Uh, If you listen to yesterday's podcast, I had an interview with Justin Cummins of the Sheepdog Man, so I'm going to go ahead and read one of his articles today on fire. So let's go ahead and start reading this one. The ability to start a fire in any situation is an essential survival skill. But what do you do when a fire gets out of control, or worse yet, what do you do when your vehicle, home, or office spontaneously and unexpectedly ignite? In 2015, 15... 58,916 human-caused wildfires burned over 2 million acres. Therefore, it is important to make sure that you are part of the solution by completely extinguishing your fire before leaving your campsite. The best way to extinguish your fire is with water or with dirt. If using water, make sure that you pour water on it until you no longer hear hissing. Also, remember what Smokey says, If it's too hot to touch, it's too hot to leave. I haven't. Uh, just side note there. I haven't heard too much from Smokey lately. I don't know if they've uh, the Forest Service has retired him or not or, or what. Anyway, sorry. Just my mind going off uh, off the rails there. Let's continue on. Furthermore, do not leave optical items like eyeglasses or bottles anywhere where they could magnify the sun's rays and start a fire. For more for more campfire safety tips, download Smokey's Campfire Safety Checklist. How to survive a forest fire or a wildfire. The greatest danger you face is the temptation to panic, lose your calm, run in the wrong direction, and end up inhaling smoke and carbon monoxide. Therefore, remain calm and confident in your ability to escape, control your breathing, and follow these guidelines. Try to determine the direction of the wind by looking at the smoke and keep upwind of the fire. Do not try to outrun a forest fire if it's close. A forest fire can travel as fast as 5 miles per hour. Get to the nearest body of water and get into it. Keep yourself soaked and stay away from anything on the shore that can burn. Rocks might get hot and the water might get warm, but it should not get hot enough to harm you unless it is a very large fire in a very shallow stream or pond. Improvise a mask from your clothing or use a water-soaked bandana. The fire may deprive the area of oxygen, so remain calm and breathe normally. Do not go into hollows or caves. If there are no bodies of water nearby, head for the biggest non-flammable area you can find. Sometimes this will be an area that has already burned. Naturally, enter such areas with caution as they could still be hot. Make sure that the fire is completely extinguished in that area first. Avoid canyons, saddles, and natural chimneys. You may be able to use a paved road as a fire barrier. How to survive a house fire? Unfortunately, according to research at Princeton University, Thousands of Americans die in homes and building fires each year but most of these deaths could be avoided. The greatest danger you face in a house fire is inhaling smoke and poisonous gas. The best way to prevent breathing in dangerous smoke and carbon monoxide is to get out of your home as quickly as possible before it's too late. Consequently, the only way to ensure that you are aware of smoke or dangerous gases before it's too late is to have an adequate number of smoke detectors installed in your home. I highly recommend detectors that also alert to carbon monoxide, such as the Kitty Battery Operated Combination Smoke Carbon Monoxide Alarm. Many people die from carbon monoxide poisoning before they become aware that there is a fire in their home. Also, make sure that you check the batteries in your smoke detector frequently and follow these additional tips. Practice fire drills with your family every three months so that your children know not to hide and plan a meeting place outside. Make sure that everyone in the family knows how to call 911 and print your address somewhere where it can be easily found, such as on the back of phones. You might be surprised how difficult it can be to remember your address under the stress of an emergency. Determine uh, exits and teach everyone where they are. Each room should have at least two exits. Install hook-on ladders or rope ladders for upper floor windows. Assign an adult or older person for each young child who will make sure that the child can evacuate. Always touch a door before you open it. If it's too hot to exit through the door, put wet towels, blankets, or clothes at the base of the door. This prevents the draft caused by opening the window from drawing smoke into the room. Escape out the window. Improvise a mask with wet clothing or a towel or cloth. Stay close to the ground. Remain calm and breathe normally. When an alarm is sounded, yell, fire everyone out. Sleep with doors closed. Doors block smoke and toxic fumes as well as heat if you must go from room to room make sure you close the doors behind you remember if your clothes catch on fire stop drop and roll how to survive and prepare for a vehicle fire according to the national fire protection association each year in the united states more than 300 people on average die in a vehicle fire i wow just a side note i didn't realize it would be that high uh that a vehicle you know 300 people uh, 300 people for the size of the united states isn't isn't a lot, but uh, still, from a, a vehicle fire, you would think you could get out. Um, a couple of years ago, I was heading to the mountain for a, mountains for a hunting trip when my transmission started to slip and then grind while driving down the freeway. Since I was only 40 miles out, I decided to try and drive the vehicle back home. Halfway back, smoke started to enter the cabin. I jumped out and very carefully opened the hood. My engine was on fire. Thankfully, I had a fire extinguisher and was able to put the fire out within seconds. In this instance, the fire caused no damage to either the vehicle or to its operator. However, if I had not had the fire extinguisher with me that day, it would have been a very different story. Unfortunately, things did not go so well for another family I know. When their car started on fire after an accident, with no knife to cut the seatbelt and with no fire extinguisher on board, the parents were unable to save their son. Wow, so that's that's where the 300 people uh, I guess I wasn't thinking that, uh, that, you know, they're in an accident and they're kind of stuck in uh, their vehicle as a, as a fire starts starts up and starts raging. Uh, all right, continuing on. There were a couple of invaluable lessons learned that day. Number one, carry a fire extinguisher in your car. I recommend something like the Kitty FX 511 automob- automobile fire extinguisher, which comes with a mount. Get two, one for the driver's side and one for the passenger side, for 18.80 on Amazon. It's a no-brainer. The last thing you want is for it to run out or to have a failure in an emergency. An additional benefit is that you can use the extinguisher as an escape tool to break a window or even as an improvised weapon. Number 2. Make sure that everyone old enough to be responsible has access to a tool that can cut a seatbelt. If you don't carry a knife already, an excellent instrument for this is the Stat Gear Super Supervisor XT Auto Escape Tool Seatbelt Cutter and Window Breaker. This tool is the only seatbelt cutter and window breaker that attaches to your sun visor. Now that's handy. Putting out an engine fire. The best way to extinguish an engine fire is to have two people, one to crack the hood, lift only high enough to spray the motor with your fire extinguisher, and another to fire the extinguisher. It's important to get the fire out as soon as possible, otherwise the fire may destroy the release cable and make it impossible to lift the hood. When the fire reaches the gas tank, which is usually in the back, It can cause an explosion and cone-shaped blast behind the vehicle that can be lethal as far as 100 feet away. Armed with this knowledge, you are now better prepared to survive a fire in the forest at home or in your vehicle. Have you experienced any of these three types of fires? I would like to hear about it. Leave a comment. All right, so uh, just a couple of things that I just wanted to say uh, about the the home fires. Um, I've talked about having gas in, in my home, but... Uh, as well, you know, on the stove because you have gas, sometimes it's very easy to just walk by it and uh touch it or let's let's say the kids use the microwave for whatever reason and they're you know they're leaning up against the stove and uh you know they turn it just a little bit. There's been times where I've walked out of my um you know out of the bedroom and I've smelt gas or I've walked into the house and smelt gas, and not really i you know I have a pretty good nose, not really strong uh strong enough to evacuate or anything, but strong enough to know that there's the, you know that smell that you're not supposed to be uh smelling uh, so we do have that carbon monoxide you know that gas uh a gas meter so that it will uh if it got if it got really bad it would sound, but I just get into a habit now that when I'm in the kitchen. Uh, or if I'm passing through or whatever, I'm always looking at the stove and just making sure that the knobs are turned to the off position. That's just kind of a just a habit, I guess, that I've I've gotten into. The other thing is, um, you know, this article might seem so basic, you know, you are like Todd, Todd, it's fire, come on. But a lot of the times, we just we think that we're smarter than, uh, you know, than this common wisdom out there. I, I knew a guy, a really great guy uh he he was uh I played with them in a worship band for a little while for a youth worship band and we were going to different churches and uh, I found out that he died in a fire and this guy you know he was a pretty big built guy and uh, his house I don't I don't know I can't remember why the the house um why there was a fire in the house but uh when that happened you know he got his family out he went back in for his uh his mom or his mother-in-law to get the mom out and uh, there was already smoke in the house and he got her out safely and then someone noticed that the dog wasn't out so he went back in for the dog And that was the thing that did him in. So he had had so much smoke with, you know, fire in the house and going back in to get mom or or mother-in-law and then going back in for the dog. And sometimes we think, hey, we've done it, whatever. We don't realize all the smoke that we have in our lungs. Um, But that was just unnecessary. And so this guy died and left behind a a wife and, and, you know, family and kids and uh you know he he was very well loved i mean the the funeral there was tons of people that came out but it was something that didn't have to happen you know uh and i know our pets are very very important to us uh many people were like hey uh you know this pet is my you know it's part of my family but you know um it's your your family is also depending on you as well and so you have a, a wife and kids and, and those kinds of things and you don't want to leave them behind so um don't don 't think you 're smarter than common wisdom when something like that's happening you 've really got to use your i like what Justin's saying here is you just got to calm down and use your you know use your brains and use your head and uh you know it 's the basic stuff but definitely in in this in times of uh distress and crisis we need to train ourselves to be able to do that even more so uh and those that that can naturally do that already that's great and those who who can't need a little bit of practice on that right okay so uh good article uh again a lot of links there i'm going to link to it on just like all the other articles i'm going to link to it on the episode 49 show notes show notes of uh, over at theprepperwebsitepodcast.com Next, uh, article comes to us from American Preppers Online. So, Sarge over there, uh, it's funny. He talks about his coffee. I'm drinking a cup of coffee right now. So, I'm like, I'm hitting, uh, pause every once in a while so I can take a drink of coffee. So, uh, just want, Sarge, if you're listening, man, I, I hear you with the coffee thing. Um, so this is an interesting article uh, talking about a lot of people have Baofeng, uh ham radios out there. They're cheap, they're throwaway. I got a guy at the church uh, who uh, who talks about that all the time. Like if you have a Baofeng and and it falls and it gets in mud and it just you know it, it craps out, you're not out a whole whole lot of money, right? So they're they're cheap and but you know you can still use them. You can still get information, but they they only have so much power. And so this might be a um, another solution. For those of you who are ham operators, or uh, that want a solution to be able to listen, because if if the poop hits the fan and you're out there and you don't have any kind of real connection with anything, I mean, you can have one of those battery operated or you know crank radios, and those are good. You should have those, but uh if people aren't broadcasting but there's always going to be ham people out there because a lot of ham operators have off-grid ways to be able to connect and so that's that's a big deal um a big deal so you will still be able to get those kinds of uh, that kind of information out there so definitely is something um to consider so let's go ahead and read this one uh the title of the article is adding a powerful ham radio to your bug out bag Hello, my friends, and welcome back. We all understand the value of having good, reliable communications in an emergency. In today's post, I'm going to walk you through adding a powerful ham radio to your bug-out bag for times when you need more than a 5-watt handheld radio. Grab a cup of coffee, my friend, and have a seat while we visit. You can reasonably be sure that in an emergency, there will be a lot of traffic on both VHF and UHF radio frequencies. There will be people trying to find out what is going on as well as those updating others on what is actually happening. You're going to want to want to monitor the frequencies for information in your local area. Handheld radios are inexpensive and easy to carry or throw in your bug out bag when not in use. But sometimes the 5 to 8 watts they put out just isn't enough to talk to others or even receive others. Sometimes things such as buildings or heavily forested areas can greatly reduce signal strength. Not to worry here is how you solve that problem. First you decide if you want to keep it in your bug out bag or in a separate smaller bag. In any case you're going to need a bag with a large pocket and a smaller one. Here is what you will need to finish the project. For a radio I recommend the BTEC Mobile UV50X2. While you can use other radios I suggest this one because of its small size and weight. It puts out a whopping 50 watts from a very small package. Cost runs about 160 dollars. There are cheaper radios as well. Next, you're going to need a battery to power it. These run about 20 dollars and are small 12 volt batteries normally used to power deer feeders. Their compact size and lightweight make them ideal for this purpose. You will need to charge the connections on your power cord to fit the battery I'm sorry, you're going to need to change the connections on your power cord to fit the battery, which is very easy to do. I recommend a good dual band magnetic mount antenna as well. There are many out there and I'm sure you can find one you like for very little money. These run about $25 or more. Then you will want to get an L bracket for a 4x4 board. This is to set the antenna on when traveling. Attach the radio mounting bracket to the inside of the smallest pouch that it will fit in. I would use plastic rivets and be sure you can still close the pocket for rainy weather. Then cut a small slit on the inside to fit the power cord and antenna cables through. Place the battery in the bottom of the large compartment and attach the power cord to it. After doing that, you will need to attach the L-bracket to the outside of the bag so it provides a platform for the magnetic base of the antenna to set on. Connect the antenna cable to the back of the radio and roll any extra cable below the radio. That's about it. There really isn't a lot to it you can power on your radio when you're walking to listen to what's going on in your area. The large antenna will give you much better reception than a handheld radio. If you're having trouble hearing or transmitting to a particular frequency, then simply remove the antenna and attach it to the top of your vehicle or any metal surface to increase your range. With the 50 watts that this radio puts out, you should easily be able to reach out and touch someone. What well, I know that's today Today's post has been a long one, but I really wanted to share this with you. If you have children in your group, a small backpack with this setup could easily be carried by a child. Total weight is usually less than 10 pounds, depending on the radio you choose. If you have any questions, please let me know and I will try to answer them for you. Until next time, take until next time my friends, stay safe, stay strong, and stay prepared. God bless America. Sarge. All right, so um, 10, yeah, ten pounds is going to be a lot for a bug out bag. If you are doing a, a bug out bag, I would say too you'd want uh, some kind of a fold up solar, uh, you know, a solar panel. Um, those are, you know, if, if you're doing this and you like, for sure, you're not coming coming back or or you want sustainable power. I don't know how long that battery, that 12 volt battery, would power you for it. I know also there was an advertiser on Prepper website that did a survival antenna, and basically it was a, just a big coax uh, that you could attach to like a rock or something and throw it up, run it up a, a tree, and then attach it. And you could actually attach it to a bow fun, so you could attach it to this as well. So, um, you know, that would be uh, something that you could do as well. Uh, but I think it's important to have some kind of means of, of communication. So, there's other. Uh, links here in this article and then you can go check out the the um, the ham radio, the BTEC Mobile UV that he's uh, that Sarge is talking about. The only thing I would have said on this article, I would have liked to see uh, or seen a picture of the setup. I think that would have been helpful because you're, you're reading it and you're trying to imagining it but uh, I'm a little bit more visual. I would have liked to see like the setup and see what he was talking about as far as the bag and, and what it all looked like but Definitely something that uh, you need to consider out there uh, you know ham radio licenses have become very very easy uh, to get now and so uh, there's a lot of people doing that and figuring all figuring it out all out and if you ha- are you if you're one of those people that just got a Baofeng and just you have it and you've never really played with it man I would recommend I would recommend that you get it and start messing with it so that uh, you can actually uh, you know, hit some channels because there's so many buttons on there. You really need to know what you're doing. You don't want to wait till uh, the poop hits the fan to try to dial up something that you know where you're going to hit get some information. So uh, there is there's a lot uh, offered by the Fung, a lot of information out there, but just ham radios as well definitely need the the, the communication ability. All right, our last article comes to us from uh, Dumanbloom.net. Uh, two of my favorite people on this. Survival Preparedness World, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy. Uh, The title is How to Pack a Bleeding Wound. And so, uh, um, nasty little picture there if you want to go check that one out. So let's go ahead and start reading this one. The failure to control hemorrhage is a common cause of death in trauma situations. With the increased number of active shooter events in the United States, the average citizen should have knowledge of basic methods to stop heavy bleeding. The Government Stop the Bleed initiative is attempting to foster awareness of the importance of this type of education. In the April 2017 issue of the Journal of Emergency Medical Services, or JEMS, Dr. Peter Telak and, e- and EMTP associates Scotty Bolletter and A.J. Heitman put forth their recommendations for the packing of hemorrh- hemorrhagic wounds that plain with plain and or hemiostatic gauze, such as quick clot, sealox, and others. In addition, they reinforce the principles of direct pressure and tourniquet use to control bleeding and save lives. Hey, before I go on, I don't want to forget. He had, does have a link here to the Journal of Emergency Medical Services. Uh, I've never been there. I haven't clicked on this link yet, but that might be uh, a worthwhile. I'm going to go ahead and open it and uh, let it open while I'm... Reading the rest of it and I'll go check it out and uh, just let you know. Alright, continuing on. In 2012, the American College of Surgeons, of which I'm a retired fellow, and other organizations formed a joint commission to improve survival in heavily bleeding injuries. While endorsing direct pressure as a primary technique to reduce hemorrhage, the commission reviewed evidence for the use of hemostatic gauze, finding it to be an effective tool in 90% of cases. Packing of wounds is useful in many situations, but not all. Wounds of the neck are problematic, for instance, due to the risk of compressing airways. Packing injuries in the abdomen, pelvis, and chest may not be effective due to the deep nature of the bleeding vessels. This is one reason why, in an off-grid setting, the death rate, called mortality, from these wounds is so high. Statistics from the Civil War put mortality rates for major injuries in these regions at close to 70%. A figure that might be expected in long-term survival scenarios. Tactical combat casualty care guidelines approve hemostatic gauze as dressings of choice for severe bleeding. These products use materials that enhance or produce clotting. Quick Clot uses kaolin, an original ingredient in kaopectate. Sealox and ChitoGauze use chitosan, a product made from the shells of crustaceans. Exstat. Made by Rev Med X is preferred by TCCC for hemorrhage in areas like the A- axilla or armpit and groin. A new product, X-Gauze, was recently described to us by John Steinball of Rev Med X as an effective item to control bleeding without kaolin or chitocin using instead expanding sponges built into the dressing itself. According to Dr. Taolak's team, Proper packing of wounds with plain or hemostatic gauze include the following steps. Quickly and aggressively apply direct pressure with a gloved hand, clean dressing or cloth, or even the knee or elbow while breaking out your supplies. Explore the wound with your fingers to find the source of bleeding using nearby bones if possible to increase the effectiveness effectiveness of pressure. Tightly, and I mean tightly, pack the wound cavity as deeply as you can while continuing to apply pressure on the bleeding vessel. Pack directly onto the vessel itself. Although hemostatic gauze is effective, sufficient pressure with plain gauze may be enough. Maintain pressure on the packed wound for at least 3 minutes. Place a tight pressure dressing or Israeli battle dressing uh, over the whole thing. Splinting the wound while immobilize it and help prevent re-bleeds during transport. The above method, along with appropriate use of tourniquets, should be effective in controlling hemorrhage. If the dressings become saturated, however, it may be necessary to use more packing or to start over. A second tourniquet may also be needed. In normal times, this might best be done during transport to a modern medical facility. In long-term survival settings, get the victim to where the bulk of your supplies are. It is about that one in five deaths for it is thought that one in five deaths from the hemorrhage may be prevented by rapid action. Know the procedure and have no doubt. You will save lives in disaster or other times of trouble. Definitely when we talk about making sure that you keep your cool, one of, that's going to be in one of these situations, right? When you have this kind of bleeding and it's a very, very severe bleeding. Uh, the thing is, most people don't have first aid supplies that would cover that. You know, when you talk about sea locks and and that kind of stuff, um, you might have one or two packages. You don't just you don't have a lot. A lot of people don't carry that. But first aid supplies are so so important. I remember uh, Nurse Amy talking about that one time. Maybe it was on one of their podcasts. Where, where people buy supplies and then she's like you don't realize how fast you'll go through that like one one serious issue will eat up you know all, you know all your supplies if you're just going to keep that small amount and so uh you know something that you really should be considering all right so that uh what was it called the journal of emergency medical services um looks like they do have some good stuff there um so it might be a if you're interested in medical preparedness, that might be a website you want to go check out, and you can get that from uh, that link from DoomAndBloom.net on this article, "How to Pack a Bleeding Wound." All right. So lot of, lots of good stuff. Make sure that you go to episode 49 and visit all these websites and check out these articles and the links there. There's always good stuff. And then again, uh, if you want to check out that interview, that written interview with uh, John O'Rourke at 1776PatriotUSA.com, I'm going to go ahead and link to that one. All right. So uh, that's it for episode 49. Hey, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government, grid, or the grind. Until tomorrow, stay prepped and aware. Peace.